Hi, this is Robert Kuhn, and today we are looking at the gift of living in the divine will in the writings of Louisa Picaretta. So we're looking at the doctoral dissertation of Father Joseph Leo Ianuzzi, and he's written this incredible doctoral dissertation on Louisa Picaretta's gift of living in the divine will. So he, he's got a... Um, doctoral alumnus of the Gregorian Pontifical University. He's got five postgraduate degrees. Uh, he received a, a grant from the Pontifical Biblical University of Rome to study theology in Israel. He's assisted the exorcist of Rome, and he's written several books on prophecy and revelation as well. Um, so Father Ianuzzi first came across Louisa Picaretta over 20 years ago in a holy hour in a Trappist monastery, there was a volume of Louisa's work that lay open in front of him, thanks to Providence. And the following day, a nun asked him if he wanted to translate some of the, her writings from Italian to English, and he agreed. And he's translated all of Louisa Picaretta's writings, which are cited in his dissertation. So uh, if you don't have a copy of his dissertation, uh, it's called The Gift of Living in the Divine Will and the Writings of Louisa Picaretta, an inquiry into the early ecumenical councils and patristic, scholastic, and contemporary theology. So in short, what he is doing in his dissertation is explaining um, what Louisa means by the gift of living in the divine will, and he's comparing it to other theology from um, earlier patristic, scholastic times, as well as contemporary theology as well. So um, basically, in this talk today, I just want to look at the first chapter in his doctoral dissertation, which is the life and writings of Louisa Picaretta. So what we're looking at today is the setting in life in which Louisa composed her text. It was the circumstances, the environment, the religious ethos, the life of the community in which she wrote. Um, so she possessed little more than a first grade education. She was not an educated person. So in this talk, we're going to mention her infancy, her education, the mystical phenomenon in her life, the education in the cross she had, the medical diagnosis, her obedience to the church, her daily life, her setting in life, a summary of the events of her life, uh, the authorship of her writings, the dates, the purpose, the volumes, the structural form, the doctrine and necessity, and also the priests in her life as well, her confessors, priests and bishops. So devotion to the divine will is an integral part of Christian holiness rooted in scripture, tradition, and magisterial teaching. And it is a key theme of the writing of the Italian mystic and servant of God, Luisa Picaretta. Uh, her writings help to lay open the tradition of understanding of God's will operating in the human will. Luisa's writings preserve their point of origin, which is the message of Christ and the apostles and the unchangeable truth within the deposit of faith. So in other words, you know, uh, devotion to the divine will, you see that in the Our Father prayer, you see it throughout scripture and also teachings of the Pope as well. And what Louise's writing is, is an also in laying open to understand of God's will operating in the human will. And Jesus offered a petition on behalf of his church that bears a divine promise. As we read in the, the Our Father, may your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And Louisa states that this petition contains Jesus's promise to establish on earth the kingdom of God's will through the outpouring of the gift that she refers to as living in the divine will. So Father Ianuzzi, in his dissertation, 
presents the theology of the gift of living in the divine will as described in the writings of Louisa Picretta through an inquiry into the church's deposit of faith. The gift of living in the divine will is the full actualization of the powers of the human being's soul, the human will in cooperation with the divine will. Louisa describes the continuity of this operation as gift, looking at Ignatian spirituality, such as finding God in all things for the greater glory of God, etc. I think Louise's writings, Father Inuzi says, are a very unique and interesting case of mystical literature. Um, and it's really important to emphasize the imprimatur of Archbishop Joseph Leo and the Neil Hill Obstat of Hannibal de Francia, one of the priests in her life, that many of Louise's writings enjoy, and that confers on them the ecclesial approval for devotional reception as well. And this ensures the sound doctrinal content for the Christian faithful, which can bring about a greater appreciation of her spirituality too. So in other words, many of her writings contain um, the imprimatur, uh, the first 17 volumes, I believe, and um, also um, this really gives them a, a stamp of approval from the church. So there's three patterns that emerge in her teaching. Um, the perfect cooperation of the human will with the divine will with Adam, the complete and perfect union of the two wills in Jesus Christ, and the perfect and complete cooperation of the two wills in the sinless Virgin Mary, and the redeemed human being conceived in sin. So it's human will cooperating with the divine will, working together, doing God's will continuously. So the Archbishop of Trani in 1994 presided at the opening of the cause of beatification of servant of God, Louisa Progressa. And in 1997, the Rev Cosmino Rijo, professor of dogmatic theology, submitted his theological evaluation of the writings of servant of God, Louisa Progressa, and found that her writings contain nothing contrary to the Catholic faith or morals. And his findings were the same as Rev. Antonio Resta, who submitted his report to the same tribunal in 1997 independently. So in other words, you know, as part of uh, being considered to have beatification, both these priests found absolutely nothing wrong with her writings and found that independently too. And her, in 19, 2005, Louisa's cause for beatification concluded its diocesan item refired the final decision to the congregation of the causes of saints. So um, Louisa wrote a notebook of her childhood memories, as well as her diary of 36 volumes. She was born in the small city of Corato in the province of Bari, in the region of Puglia in 1865, and her parents had five daughters. Her last two sisters never married. Her parents died in 1907. And Louisa recounts that she was born upside down and her mother did not experience any of the pains associated with childbearing. Uh, she said, it's only right that my life should be upside down with respect to the lives of others. She was shy and timid. She had frightful dreams every night when she was young, didn't want to go anywhere alone. And um, she was plagued by nightmares of, of the devil. And she spent long hours in prayers, had a devotion to the Blessed Virgin Mary. And she disappeared whenever a guest visited the house. And Jesus assured her that her timidity as a young child will help to ultimately serve God's purpose. She was criticized by classmates who did not understand the motives behind her unusual behavior. And her desire to be hidden and detached helped to keep her loneliness that pleased God to choose her for divine 
mission. So th- this is the nothingness that comes through her teachings quite a lot. Um, you know, her own hiddenness helped her to be lowly and close to God. So her education, her parents were poor, simple and hardworking. Her father worked on a farm and Louisa attended the main church of her city, La Chiesa Matricia, and learned the catechism there. And the Eucharist was a main passion for Louisa. She attended the School of the Sisters of the Immaculate Conception, and she wanted to be a nun in her youth. And Jesus would fulfill that desire in an unexpected way in her life. She did actually spend 10 years living in a convent. So the mystical phenomena of her life. From the age of 12, Louisa began to hear interiorly the voice of Jesus, especially when she received Holy Communion. Jesus would instruct, correct and reprove her, imparting lessons on the cross on meekness, on obedience and on the hidden life. And at age 13, she received a vision of Jesus from the balcony Carato. Louisa saw Jesus carrying the cross on his shoulders. He said, soul, help me. At this time, Louisa cried out and lost consciousness. This amazing event marked a turning point in her life. And she began to offer herself as a victim soul for the sins of mankind. Well, let's hear about the education in the cross that she received. So age 14, she desired to enter a convent. She went there with her mother who opposed her decision and Louisa was denied admission, uh, partly because her mother told strange events about Louisa and also told them of her poor physical condition too. So Louisa received continuous lessons on the cross after communion, began to understand the redemptive value of Jesus's sufferings and began to ardently share in his passion as well. So Louisa's own sufferings intensified. She was deprived of all sensible graces and consolations, which caused a bitter interior suffering. And she suffered from a move to the countryside as well, which deprived her of frequent communion. And she had an interior state of suffering. She began to embrace the state of victimhood. Um, She also began to experience locutions and experience the sensible graces of visions and apparitions from Jesus and Mary with physical sufferings. Uh, On one occasion, Jesus placed a crown of thorns on her head, communicated to her his pains that caused her to lose consciousness and the ability to open her mouth and take food for two or three days. Um, Every time she tried to eat, her body would reject the food. This particular condition got to the point where she could no longer ingest food except the Eucharist became a permanent condition until her death in 1947. So in other words, she lived on the Eucharist on God alone for a long period of time in her life. Uh, And later Jesus revealed to her, it was training her to live exclusively in the divine will, which along with the Eucharist would constitute her daily bread. So her medical prognosis Uh, Louisa was embarrassed before her family. He didn't understand the cause of her sufferings. And Louisa asked Jesus to conceal her sufferings from others. And Jesus immediately answered her prayers. And she became in an immobile, rigid-like state that appeared to the observer that she was dead. However, no sooner that she came out of this state, she discovered her family beside her more worried than before. And her family misunderstood this to be a physical sickness and sought medical help. All the doctors were most perplexed by such an unusual case. And she was examined by a priest and doctor who was convinced of her holiness. Her condition challenged natural laws. She was literally in this rigid state. And eventually they worked out that the priest would give a blessing and she'd come out of this rigid state. And this would happen throughout her life. Uh, When all the resources of doctors and science were exhausted, her family turned to priests. 
and she had a real obedience to the church. When a priest was summoned to her bedside, she, he made the sign of the cross. Her normal faculties were instantly restored from being in this rigid state. Louisa was confined to her bed for 64 years and remained obedient to the council of priests. So age 18, Louisa became a third order Dominican and she was left for many days in a state of rigidity. And Father de Benedictus visited Louisa daily and he imposed restrictions on the sufferings that she would accept as a victim soul. So um, during this time, Louisa remained uh, with permission to remain continuously in bed, abstained from eating from one small meal, which she always regurgitated whole and intact. And she remained uh, confined to her bed in a state of victimhood, being a victim soul, living almost exclusively on the Eucharist and on the divine will for the rest of her life, nearly 60 years in, in all. She never suffered any illness apart from the pneumonia, which took her life in 1947. So Louisa in her first volume said how Jesus allowed her to undergo sufferings for the salvation of souls stricken by the cholera epidemic and to obtain a confessor. And from 1898 until 1922, Father Di Gennaro saw the truth of Louisa's mystical experiences and placed her under obedience to begin writing the revelations that Jesus and Mary dictated to her. So in that, in that started in 1899, and Louisa began to write her diary that ran to 36 volumes. And these dictations reveal her intimate and mystical experiences of how to live in the divine will and to hasten his reign on earth, Jesus' reign on earth. Um, eventually, Louisa came to learn that her confinement to bed was to enable her to write down the doctrines of living in the divine will and to dispose her for her mission in this regard. And St. Hannibal de Francia published her work entitled Hours of the Passion and in 1926 uh, appended her first 19 volumes, Neil Holubstadt, while the Archbishop of Trani gave them his imprimatur so in other words the first 19 volumes of louisa's diary has the nil hill obstat and also the imprimatur on it that's very important it's got the church's stamp of approval so what about louisa's daily life louisa developed a rhythm of prayer in her family life of intercessory prayer for all souls she did this by continuous offerings of god to love adoration thanksgiving glory and reparation her life was the most hidden and unknown of circumstances she usually refers to her, her usual state. Um, amazingly, Louisa never had any bed sores despite being in bed for you know, most of her life. Um, she would sometimes be in a trance and ecstasy and intimate conversation with Jesus for two or three hours. Mass was allowed to be celebrated in her room because of her inability to, um, inability to get out of bed and walk. After communion, Louisa's bodily senses would work again and she would sit up and resume her work of sewing and find needlework in the service of the church. And some young women would some, sometimes come and join her doing the needlework too. And she was ordered to eat, but she would always regurgitate. She would uh, obediently write down what she received in dictation from Jesus. And she possessed numerous mystical gifts such as ecstasy, apparitions, visions, locutions, introspection, the stigmata and bilocation. And her life was one of prayer, silence and work too. Well, what about Louisa's setting in life? Um, Louisa, Louisa lived through a cholera epidemic and two world wars. Uh, Louisa saw some wars before they occurred. She pleaded to Jesus to mitigate the tragedies of war. 
uh, Louisa was aware that God permits wars and chastisements to lead mankind ultimately to freely accept the call to conversion. And uh, God avails of himself victim souls, to, of which Louisa was one, to avoid wars, chastisements and the loss of souls. Um, Louisa's love of souls was so strong that she often wanted to sacrifice her own love for their salvation. And Jesus allowed Louisa to participate in his internal sorrows to avoid chastisements. Um, Louisa also beheld in mystical visions plots against the church and experienced several natural disasters that plagued entire regions. Um, for example, on December the 28th, 1908, Jesus foretold earthquakes in Messina, Sicilia and Calabria and how large areas of the world will be destroyed by earthquakes, floods and wars. And five hours later, uh, a massive earthquake rocked Messina, claiming 70 to 100,000 lives. So um, she received prophetic uh, messages also, and that was a clear example of that because it, um, it received the message that happened five hours, uh, five hours later. Um, Louisa had a desire for the salvation of souls, intercessory prayer on behalf of mankind, trust in God's providence that can draw even good from evil in the lives of those that appeal with trust to his mercy. Well, in 1928, Louisa was transferred to the convent uh, with an orphanage that Hannibal de Francia had founded. Um, Louisa referred to the convent as the house of the divine will. Father Hannibal de Francia um, is now a saint. And I think he's got a statue in the Vatican um, as one of the main, main priests in Louisa's life, a uh, spiritual director. Um, so in 1938, three of her books were placed on the index of prohibited books. And in 1938, Louisa left the convent that she lived in for 10 years and was transferred to a house in the centre of Carasso. Uh, Father Benedict Calvi lived on the street. It was called Via Magdalena. I think now in Carasso, one of the streets is named after Louisa. Um, so let's move on to a summary of the events of Louisa's life. So in April 23rd, 1865, Louisa was born and baptised. 1874, the age of nine, she receives First Communion and she begins to hear Jesus's voice. In 1878, age 13, she receives the first vision of Jesus carrying the cross, who implores her to soul, help me from the balcony, as you remember. In 1881, age 16, Louisa accepts the state of victimhood and is intermittently confined to bed. So Lisa, Louisa accepts the state of victim soul. Um, victimhood in her own life and age 17 in 1882 Louisa composes the Christmas novena um, that she would recite every year for the rest of her life and in 1887 Louisa is definitely confined to bed for the rest of her life in 1888 she experiences her first nuptial spiritual marriage on earth in 1889 Louisa experiences her second nuptial spiritual marriage in heaven i.e. the gift of living in the divine will, which Jesus takes possession of Louisa's heart. Several days later, the Trinity confirms Louisa and establishes in her heart its divine indwelling. And Louisa experienced her third nuptial, the spiritual marriage of the cross. In 1889, in obedience to her confessor, Louisa begins to write. And in 1900, Louisa experiences her fourth nuptial, in which she takes possession of Jesus's heart, receiving three divine breaths, and embarks on becoming centered on the divine will, on possessing it entirely and completely. Well, in 1925, Pope Pius XI instituted the Feast of Christ the King. Uh, in 19, 
28, Louisa moves to the Sisters of the Divine Seal in Carato. In 1938, three of Louisa's books are placed on the Index of Prohibited Books. In 1938, Louisa writes her last volume. And in 1947, after a short bout with pneumonia, the only diagnosable illness of her life, Louisa dies. Uh, in 1994, the opening of the cause of beatification, she receives the title Servant of God. And in 2005, Louisa's cause for beatification concludes its diocesan iter. So I just correct myself earlier. It's actually, I think, 1899 instead of 1889 in obedience to Confessor Louisa begins to write. So um, let's have a look at authorship of her writings. Um, although following Holy Communion, Louisa received dictations from Jesus. It was her custom to write down all dictations anywhere from two to three days to a week after she received those dictations. And sometimes this was because of ill health. Other times out of humility, she resisted writing dictations where Jesus exalted her. Other times she refused to write down chastisements that God was sent to earth. And notwithstanding, she would eventually write everything down and um, Jesus would make her experience what she would later write to. So um let's have a look at uh, what did louisa actually write so um the book of heaven is 36 volumes which is her diary we've also got the hours of the passion which as you remember received the imprimatur was printed by hannibal de francia then we've got this book the blessed virgin mary and the kingdom of the divine will in this book mary reveals how to train souls to continuously remain in the divine will there's also the rounds of the soul in the divine will the Notebook of Childhood Memories, and the Christmas Novena too. So there's quite a few different books that she wrote. Um, just go over those once more time. So the Book of Heaven is the 36 volumes of Adari. Then there's the Hours of the Passion, the Blessed Virgin Mary and the Kingdom of the Divine Will, the Rounds of the Soul and the Divine Will, the Notebook of Childhood Memories, and the Christmas Novena too. So as we recall, the first 19 volumes of Adari have the imprimatur from the Archbishop. And the Hours of the Passion also has the Neil Hill Obstat and the imprimatur. And the Virgin Mary in the Kingdom of the Divine Will also has the imprimatur on it. So the dates of her writings, well, um, it was 1892, the Christmas Novena. The diaries were written between 1899 to 1938. The House of the Passion was written 1913 to 1914. 1930, she wrote the, the Blessed Virgin Mary and the Kingdom of the Divine Will. In 1914 to 1928, yeah, that was her published letters. And as I mentioned earlier, the streets in Carato, a street in Carato now bears her names. So the purpose of the writings, um, Louisa's writings are the fruit of unconditional obedience. And the volumes of her diary, the Book of Heaven, 36 volumes, they can be divided up into three groups of 12. Volumes 1 to 12 is about Jesus's passion and the work of redemption. The soul interiorizes what Jesus did in his humanity by meditating on his passion with the aim of obtaining graces for mankind. So the, the second group of 12, volumes 13 to 24, it's about God the Father's work of creation. The soul reflects on the state and purpose of Adam glorifies God in and behalf of all creation. The soul learns how to pray as Adam and Eve did in the Garden of Eden. And volumes 30, 25 to 36, God, the Holy Spirit's work of sanctification, 
the soul attentively meditates on Jesus and Mary's lessons, participates in what St. Paul refers to as the work of setting creation free from its slavery to corruption so that it may enjoy the glorious freedom of the sons of God. So what about Louisa's structural forms? We said that she was not educated. She had a primary education. So her style can be complicated, repetitious and cluttered. And this is what makes her writing so incredible because she didn't have an education yet. She's writing profound theological truths. So uh, there's a bit of a you know disconnect there. You, you know, if you don't have a formal education, you don't write such profound writings, and that just makes uh, everything all the more special. So the doctrine of her writings, unknown to her, is of the patristic and scholastic writers, and the theology within her writings show how profoundly she experienced without understanding the mystical realities which she articulated. And yet there are grammatical errors in her writings too. So it's not perfect, like there are mistakes. It's, you know, a bit scatty in the writing and it's not clear, uh, but she is exhorted by Jesus to have uh, order in her writings. Um, uh, she has a vision talking about this too. Uh, doctrine, the doctrine is stating of her writings that of Jesus, not of her own. And Jesus reassured Louisa that the doctrine contained her writings is not compromised by her imperfect form. So uh, the necessity of her writings, um, that her writings contain the revelation of God himself, and it's to renew the church, to transform the face of the church, and Jesus's dictations are intended to communicate his light of grace to souls that they may act upon them. So that's kind of, you know, why do we have these writings? Well, they are profound writings of somebody who was extremely holy and had revelations from God and they're to renew the church and transform the face of the earth. And Jesus' dictations are intended to communicate his light of grace to souls that they may act upon them. So the whole point of the writings is, you know, uh, they reveal God, they're to renew the, renew the church and transform the world and that we're to, Act upon these writings because um you know they're not just for fancy for um entertainment it's like well actually these writings are incredible and then we can act upon them so um i hope that clarifies so just a couple of our confessors father gennaro de gennaro who was a priest he asked louisa to keep a record what the lord revealed day to, day by day um to her and so she took that as obedience that she followed uh, followed the priest asked her to do something and she was very much under the obedience of the church um, and so she did that and um, we're so blessed to be able to read these writings today as a result of that and father Hannibal the Francier this is the priest who has a statue in the Vatican um, he assisted Louisa from 1910 to 1927 he printed her hours of the uh, passion book in four editions as well so there's another priest called Father Gennaro Bracalia. He was a Jesuit priest who often celebrated Mass in Louisa's room. And Louisa and Hannibal saw him levitate during the Holy Sacrifice. So that's pretty, pretty incredible. We'll, we'll come on to the archbishops in the life of Louisa. There's Archbishop Reginald Adazi. He gave Louisa the title the Servant of God and authorised the issue of the Holy Card with a prayer. Archbishop Joseph Carata began the Association of the Divine Will in 1986, granted it canonical approbation after procedures which lasted 10 years. 
Um, so he started an association of the divine will back in 1986. And then Archbishop Emeritus Carmelo Cassati in 1994 opened up Louisa Pagrecca's cause for beatification. And Archbishop Giovanni Battista Piceri um, advanced the servant of God Louisa's cause for beatification too. So there we have it. That's a quick summary of uh, quick summary of the life and writings of Louisa Picaretta. I hope that's given you a context for her life, um, just a bit of background about her. And uh, what's for sure is that we should keep on studying uh, her diary, her writings continuously, because they are incredible and they are absolutely, absolutely amazing. Well, thank you very much, everybody, for listening today. And uh, I hope you found that an interesting introduction to the life and writings of Louise Picaretta. We'll con continue to study her work, continue to continue to study what she wrote and um, look forward to seeing you next time. Thank you very much and God bless you.